Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. So it's Matthew twenty-seven sixty-one to um, sixty-six, and it's the sealing of the tomb, the placing of the guards. The um, what else happens? They go petition Pilate to give him some soldiers to give him some soldiers, and um, yeah. So it's a tiny little passage, and I think. Sometimes, I don't know, I don't know if you're like this, I start off with like a really small passage and, and I go, you know, I don't know what I'm going to say about this passage. I don't know what, what, what I can possibly preach here, you know, and then after a while of studying it, I'm like, you know, I, th- I feel like I'm like, how could I possibly get all these verses in, in <laughs> you know? The case I like preaching like really small passages just because um, they they really challenge you to see how this little thing functions in mm-hmm. the midst of like a whole bunch. Of, I, I didn't know this. But I was reading, um, I think it was D. A. Carson. Maybe I was reading somebody. I don't remember talking about this passage and and they said that some people explain this little section of passage away. Mm-hmm as um i can't remember how he put it explain it away as like uh well this is obviously just a you know kind of a made-up little story or or something i don't the guard the guard at the tomb you mean yeah it's kind of like cover that this is a real story yeah and and yeah because it 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 serves otherwise it serves no purpose within Mm. the narrative and uh and things like that and so I mean, I, I'm like, I, I guess you could say that about all of it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like each, I mean, well, Matthew's clearly made up the crucifixion because that conveniently fits his story, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> like, well, well, I mean, you know, or it happened, I don't know, I mean, right. I guess that's the other option, but it, it mm-hmm. seems like, it seems, my, my, um, my, the sermon title that I've got right now well, I'm not going to change it because it's printed in a bulletin, but is uh, how to kill the gospel. Hmm. Um, and it it seems that Matthew is kind of underlining the, the point of the whole thing is that if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, we're all still in our sins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people actually that are standing outside the tomb that are trying to guard the tomb actually know that. Mm-hmm. You know that the resurrection is going to be a worse problem than his ministry was. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think? Do you <laughs> think it's kind of the beginning of an apologetic string in Scripture for credibility? Does it have that? I think that's where most people who who don't question it they go. You know, this is look. They had guards. There's evidence. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I would put it. I would put it in the uh, stream of like First Corinthians 15, or you right. know, 
I mean, it, to me, it sounds very much like Matthew's First Corinthians fifteen passage. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's like he, Error. they, so and and it, and he does this quite frequently. Um, though I would struggle right now to give you another example, but I know he does this from time to time, where he sort of, from the mouth of the adversary, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. um, says what the big problems are going to be if something such and such happens, and then that happens. So you know, like they they say, well, if if we if his body's missing, you know, mm-hmm. if 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 something happens to his body, and they proclaim a resurrection that's going to be worse for us than when he was alive Mm -hmm. well in the next chapter he's going to raise from the dead so he they're telling you right now that the resurrection for them is worse than jesus's ministry Mm -hmm. well and jesus has already told them you know and this is in other places like you're you'll do these and more you know you'll do greater things than these Mm -hmm. and and i think this is getting at the same idea is that the the resurrection of Jesus will end up and will prove to be a worse deal for the adversary than mm-hmm. um, than you know than the ministry was. You know, the ministry mm-hmm. was bad, and for them, I mean, the ministry was bad in that people were taking away their authority and whatever. And he's about to tell them in twenty eight eighteen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And mm-hmm. so they're already with the understanding, you know, almost a prophetic understanding that if something ha- if he if he walks out of that tomb or if he is any way, if he in any way is missing from that tomb in 3 days, we're in big trouble. Yeah. It's going to get crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that seems to be that that's a helpful take on on the passage. I don't think I've noticed uh so much before in verse 64. At the end, he says the disciples are going to go and tell the people that the last fraud will be worse than the first. Yeah. In other words, saying they're they're very aware that if they've already been, you know, uh, perpetrating that Jesus is God and Jesus is the King and Jesus is the Messiah, and that's enough trouble. But if they actually start stirring up some dust about a resurrected King who has been swept away into the woods somewhere and is waiting, you know, in the wings to come and take power. That could be even messier. Yeah. 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 So how, the way I'm going to kind of attack it, at least to the, the, uh, the congregation, is is first to say, like, how to, how to kill the gospel. They understand something about the truth of the resurrection that, mm-hmm. you know, we often miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that no? It's it's in fact not better if Jesus was still doing his ministry and you were in the middle of it. It is in fact better that he died and that he rose again, and mm-hmm. that he's gone and that you are left to tell the story. So one way to kill the gospel is that Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Like you, you kind of have to do that mm-hmm. um, if you're going to kill the gospel. But the other way to kill the gospel is uh, is by you not telling anyone. That he's risen from the dead hmm. because um, he they say they even realize something about evangelism lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first well you can kill the gospel I mean by just being quiet you know mm-hmm. and this is kind of where we got to last week a little bit 
Um, but I think it's a helpful reminder going into the past, into the chapter that includes the Great Commission, is to realize that there is uh, an important focus being put on the disciples telling the story of Jesus's resurrection to people hmm. and um, teaching them what kind of authority he has. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, yeah. like, like I said last week, every uh, every passage from here on out, in some way, mentions the disciples. Either the disciples are going to go and they're going to steal his body, and they're going to tell people mm-hmm. that, that he rose from the dead, and that that'll be uh, far worse than the first. Um, or the disciples are to meet him in Jerusalem, or you know, and so every every passage um then his disciples are lied about it they came and stole him while while we were asleep and then finally here is go and make disciples and so he's, mm. he's literally at the end of the 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 book after having shown jesus died and de- death and burial he's now turning his attention to discipleship and kind of pushing on the disciples this is what it means to follow Jesus this is what it means now in light of Jesus's death and burial and resurrection to be a disciple of his. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's helpful. And I, I think it's interesting that the, you're, what you're getting at is that sec, that text isn't first about an apologetic that, um, that that's not the first meaning of the passage in its right. context. The first meaning of the passage in the context is the faithfulness of the disciples to their Lord and how the, the 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 people knew that there was this prediction hanging in the air, and people knew that the disciples had been following and believing every word Jesus was saying, and so now it was well. Now what are they going to do? And it kind of gives us an insight into just how much of a ruckus had been created in Jerusalem that. Pilate was ready to say, "Go make it secure as you can." He, he's, it's him washing his hands again. It feels like kind of trying to get rid of it and yeah. trying to just make the whole thing go away. Um, and well, here's then, the irony here that, and this goes against everything that I ever learned in Sunday school. I'm sorry <laughs> for all my Sunday school teachers when I saw the flannel flannelgram of the <clears throat> Roman soldiers at the tomb um Mm -hmm. in 65 i think Pilate is telling them basically that he has already washed his hands of the blood of jesus that this isn't Mm -hmm. his problem Mm -hmm. now some translations say take a guard Mm -hmm. um of soldiers so like they ask him hey can sir uh, we remember how the imposter said well, he's still alive. Da da da. So they're going to Pilate to tell him of their problem, mm-hmm. and they want to seal the tomb and they want to protect it. And Pilate says to them, and "This is the question. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, ESV has decided, but but the question here is 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 it you take a guard of soldiers like a command, mm-hmm. or is it you have a guard of soldiers? Mm-hmm. And the ESV has decided you have." And the reason they have is because it is, it is that is the more simple translation of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's you take a guard, or take a guard of soldiers, then it it basically is the implication. Here's my group of Roman soldiers. Take a guard and go and go seal it. 
go whatever. Yeah. But I think it is you have, meaning mm-hmm. you have a temple guard that you have charge over. Which go would and be make interesting. it as secure as you can. Interesting for Matthew's audience being Jewish because it would have yeah. been it would have actually been Matthew's own audience, the Jews, who would say, we can't pin this on the Romans. We can't right. pin this on Pilate. We we saw this. We watched this. This is our community, right? our, our guards, our priests, overseeing the, the tomb of Christ. And that makes much more sense in the line of all of Matthew's arguments— it kind of gives you a, a, a kind of also answer the question: Why might Matthew have put this in there right. to to his audience? It kind of matches the Matthew narrative. He's been yeah. you know, a lot of the points he's been making to his audience all along. Yeah. Further, it makes a lot more sense of why in eleven to fifteen, the uh, chief priests can mm-hmm. tell a group of a group of guards, whomever they are, are they Roman soldiers? Or they are, to mm-hmm. answer to me, answer to us. Like if, if hmm. just it just come to us if uh, the, if it comes to the governor's ears we'll cover for you mm-hmm. that would have never flown with a group of Roman soldiers <laughs> they would have been executed like there mm-hmm. there's and the chief priest would have no recourse to be able to stop that but that what he's what they're telling them is you know the reason that the governor might come to here if this comes to the governor's ears we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Mm-hmm. The governor is mostly concerned with, is there a disturbance in the land of Israel? And mm-hmm. what is this I hear about a resurrection? What is this I hear about the guy that you killed? And they'll they'll say, oh, no, we got it under control. You know, like, oh, his disciples stole his body. We're, we're dealing with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're they're keeping them out of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, really, they, that's helpful. I don't think I've ever noticed that. <clears throat> but in verse 11, uh, some of the guards went to the city and, and told the chief priest what had taken place. I mean, you're. I think that's that's so helpful just to think about. The Roman soldiers kind of got disoriented, so they ran to the Jewish chief priest to tell yeah. them yeah. what had happened. Yeah. Really? Yeah. For what? For protection? Like, what, yeah. <laughs> what, what were they hoping to get from the from yeah. the Jewish authorities? Uh, yeah. It makes more sense that the guards were not. That that's really helpful. And and yeah. then at the end of fifteen, there might be a pericope there. So, uh, so they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. Yeah. In other words, this Matthew is knowingly like a like a reporter following yeah. a a news story in the Jewish community. Yeah, and saying you guys have all heard this. Let me tell you how it got there. Yeah. So it's not. I mean, it really is. It's like a. It's like a kind of a breaking. Like he's an investigative journalist. You know. Yeah, and and it's not. He's not even introducing new material to the community. He's mm-hmm. telling them, look, this is what you guys have heard, but those guys, our Jewish brothers who are keeping this quiet, they've been paid. Mm-hmm. That let's listen to how we got here. Pilate wouldn't send his guys; those were our guys. They've been paid. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that in my whole life. Yeah, yeah. I had some good Sunday school teachers, I think. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. It's you know, I've looked in several translations, and there's several, especially like the NIV says "take," 
mm-hmm. a guard of soldiers. And I think that's probably because when um, the inter- when the translators got to that passage, they figure they go in figuring that Pilate does cons- cons- uh, consent to give mm-hmm. them soldiers. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing. There is the term um, that's used for soldiers, which is not really used. I think it's used one time. This I think mm-hmm. this is the only use in Matthew, I'm pretty sure. But um, And so a lot of people look at that term, and they're like, well, then that has to be talking about the Roman soldiers. It's not talking about, you know, something somebody else. And um, and so the, they're going with the assumption that he does give them that, and so mm-hmm. it must be take instead of the more natural you have. Because um, you have doesn't really make sense if he's giving them Roman soldiers. I mean, you could you could see him kind of saying that, but that wouldn't be the best way to say it. Um, right. And so anyway, I think a lot of people go in with that interpretation and then they, they sort of make uh, echo, which is used there, mean you have instead of instead of take uh, or take instead of you have and so i think there's a lot of complications going into that little translation of the phrase and why people have done that in the past but most all of them note uh have a little note and even the esv has a note the other way which says you know or take a guard instead of you have a guard and the other translations will say you know take a guard but it could also be you have a guard Mm -hmm. so they yeah, and I both think translations admit that it could be either one. We don't know. Yeah, but I think some of the things you just showed are helpful in that regardless how – see how I got my words right there? I, I see that. I was Did like – you, you heard it. You heard it. You heard it. He's I know. Learned. You're 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 helping me. <laughs> the Regardless the actual phrase there, the context, um, it, it, if you didn't interpret it that way in 65, something like, like that – the, the context of the report and the Jews and the process and the, the payments, those things just, they don't make as much sense. And I, I think that's how you get to a place where you feel like this is forced and you wonder, why is this added in there? Yeah. If, yeah. if you choose the you know Roman guards at the tomb narrative, you're going to be asking questions. Why in yeah. the world is this in there? But when it's Jewish guards... Uh, being paid by the priest uh, to keep a story quiet, then it it just it ties into the melodic line of the whole book, the whole mm-hmm. the whole narrative of Matthew. Mm-hmm. It, it's grabbing it's grabbing onto that. It makes much more much more sense. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. So are you so you're preaching just that section, or what's your what's your scope? Yeah, just that section, 62 to 66. Okay. Yeah, that's just so, a few few little verses there. Yeah. it's So yeah. with the rest of Matthew 28, you've only got about 11 weeks left in Matthew? Yeah. Something like that? Uh, I think I, I might be – it's anywhere between 11 and 15, but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, now we have uh, – so we have f- this, this, this Sunday, and then we have three more Sundays in Matthew – and then I'm going to do there, – there's, you know, tell me what you think about this, but there's um, – I, I kind of want to put a bow on the book itself. 
mm-hmm. and not I'm not gonna summarize it per se. I will like I think I will have like a kind of a wrap up of like here's here's the book as a whole, mm-hmm. but I want to um, to really drill down on some threads that run through it. So mm-hmm. right now I have set for us to end Matthew on the 28th, which is the Sunday right after Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Um, and then we're going to do some, probably a Christmas, just a, you know, uh, incarnation narrative mm-hmm. um, from December 5th through the 19th. Mm-hmm. And then we'll probably do on the 26th, the 2nd, and maybe even the 9th, do like some um, some kind of, uh, here, here are some prevalent themes in Matthew that uh, indicate that we as a church body, as a people, must do something, you know. Mm. It's mm-hmm. you can't you can't just leave and go. Well, that was a great book. Now what's the next one? Mm-hmm. But you have to say we're taking this with us. You know, right. everything that we've studied in Matthew is true and it's authoritative and it it means something for us. And I think the biggest the big one of the biggest themes that I think you have to understand in Matthew is that this all ends with the church. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the goal in Matthew is really the establishment and the ministry, the the grounding for the ministry of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, the middle of the book, it turns on Jesus saying, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And so he, this that is the... That's what Jesus is. That's Jesus's purpose. He's going to save his people from their sins, and in doing so, he is going to establish his church, and that church is left with a commission. So, every aspect of how we come together as a people in our church body matters deeply, because this was what Christ established when he left. And so it, it puts a bear it puts a bearing on us of evangelism, of discipleship, of the, like that's who of worship. You know, that's who we are. We are a people who come together and worship the resurrected Christ mm. and and that God sent to save us from our sins. So we fundamentally we come together with that purpose in mind, to pay homage to God who saved us who created us, who saved us, um, brought us back from the dead by raising Christ and promises to come back for us. So we come to pay homage to him, to celebrate him, to uh, to preach the message of the gospel. But we also come as a, as a congregation to, um, to sh- tell other people about the resurrection and what its impact should be on them. And... And so Matthew's gospel is, with all the stories and all the stuff and all the, you know, all, all the narratives that are going on through it, is really fundamentally telling us that, telling his own church that, hmm. that the, the story of Christ is not just a YouTube video that I want to 
tell you so that you can impress your friends by how much you know or what is factually true about history. It's all factually true about in, in history. It actually took place. But, but I'm telling you this because the impact on the church is large. Mm. And, you know, his kingdom really is at hand. And your message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is the same as Jesus's was and it's the same as John the Baptist was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good because I think Matthew is such a a a Jewish book, and I know you've yeah. been making connections over and over to that part of the narrative, and even that last bit there that you're, you know, preaching addressing tomorrow is so you know Jewish culture history covenant centric that you can you can feel like this is someone else's book for someone yeah. else's time. Um, so I think that'd be that'd be great. I look forward to hearing that. For sure. Yeah, I mean it, it. It centers so much around this little pocket of human history, um, where the Jews were governed by Rome, and you know the cult culturally it's set within that. And uh, I think Matthew honors that to a large degree. Like he explains how intricate the Jew the Jewish people were mm-hmm. to this narrative, mm-hmm. and. But then all the all the way through, there are these little hints of, but listen, Jews, you need to get used to the idea that Gentiles are going to be coming in. Right. And so it, it seems to me pretty evident that Matthew is at least writing this in a time where Gentile inclusion in the church is either something of an issue or is kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm. And because and so that that could be probably that could be anywhere between fifty and after seventy, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's possible that he's writing Matthew twenty four, looking back at the destruction of the temple. I don't know mm-hmm. how true that is, but you know, mm-hmm. it it it's possible. Um, so you know, he's definitely kind of included, but then you see these little sprinkles throughout of the Canaanite woman, who. Yeah. Who says, you know, even the dogs. The dog and the crumbs, um, yeah. Yeah, eat the crumbs, you know, and yeah. and Jesus is, you know, blown away by her faith. And, you know, several people like that throughout that are Gentiles that mm-hmm. demonstrate this faith in Jesus. And, um, and so it's almost as if Matthew is kind of going, listen, guys, Gentiles are coming in, and this yeah. is Jesus' plan all along. Yeah, yeah. So what are you so preaching good. this week? But I'm not preaching this week. Oh, no. So that's yeah. why we're spending so much time on me. That's right. Why do you think I'm asking you so many questions, man? <laughs> I'm over here running out of questions. Not, not <laughs> what is it like to not preach? Oh, first, man. First you, so preachers only work on Sundays, and then you yeah. take Sundays off? Yeah, dude. That's that's how I roll, man. Yeah. That's an easy life. No, yeah. I've, this is going to be my my third of three weeks off in a row. Uh, I was gone for a weekend away with uh, my wife, and uh, we had Simeon Trust. We've had family camping in a row. One of our elders preached um, in in part so that I could be away camping with my family and enjoy that. And then tomorrow, uh, Dr. Alex Sossler is going to be in town, our previous associate pastor, is here uh, preaching a conference this weekend. Uh, that ends today on Saturday, and uh, I just thought, man, since you're here, why don't you 
once you change your flight and uh, stay an extra day, come preach for us, come see the church. Uh, so he obliged and, uh, yeah, picking him up this evening. Going to go hang out, eat some food and uh, fellowship and then have him preach and hang out and have lunch at the church tomorrow with him. So uh, that'll be a joy. He's a dear friend. Um, and I, I think since the first time uh, he and I had dinner in D.C., uh, we just, um, you know, you're getting in bromance level here when you say we hit it off or something like that. But we, we, uh, we just had a really long dinner. We were both at the Weekender at uh, Capitol Hill. We were both taking uh, a class on ecclesiology with Jonathan Lehman there on site. And uh, so he's just been a dear friend. So, you know, it's having a, having a, a, a guest preacher so that you're kind of off is one thing. Um, but uh, having a friend come in town and preach and spend time with him and, and someone who your, your church trusts, knows, and loves is, uh, is a great joy. Um, and it's freed me to do uh, many other things on my to-do list uh, this week. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, after being gone essentially for a couple weeks. So, uh, so yeah, grateful for that, looking for that. He's going to be preaching a sermon on... Uh, the Eternal Life of Love is his name, which, if you know Alex, that's an extremely Alex title of a sermon. And yes, very. Uh, he's <laughs> he's talking about the rich young ruler. Uh, that's one of his passages, and the other is uh, "Love your neighbor as yourself," the the Good Samaritan. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think it'll be good, and I know it'll be good for our people to see him again and. Uh, just enjoy that. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing the pastoral prayer tomorrow, and uh, I'm going to be there and do announcements and sing and shake hands and pray with people. And yeah, that's my job tomorrow. Well, since we have been <laughs> talking, obviously, about uh, the life of the church together and mm-hmm. discipleship and evangelism, um uh, I think it would be interesting to to hear uh, what, and, and since you mentioned the pastoral prayer, which is something we do as well, um, what your flow of service is like on Sunday morning. Like, what mm. would people see when they come to your church, and why is that a, why, why that? Yeah. I think if you were not a Christian, you'd be pretty bored at our church. Um, we don't really... Uh, do much other than sing the word back to God. We sing gospel-centered word, um, word-originated songs. You know, songs that are kind of singing the Bible back to God, singing the gospel, singing the doctrines of God back to God in gratefulness and praise. We pray the Bible. So wait, wait, wait. Pause right there. Pause right there. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? What, what does that? So how mean? is that different than? Like, we're not. What are they, we're not what singing they, songs that ex- we try to steer away from, uh, at least as a, a general rule, songs that express our feelings a lot, and we try to sing about God Himself uh, and just express our feeling in the song itself that we're singing about God. Um, we, we don't follow a really strict regulative principle, but we do follow that principle principially, if you could say that. So we. We, we try to find songs that say what the Bible's saying, that we we sing the gospel 
and uh, we try to really steer clear of emotion-centric songs. Um, and uh, musically, we we do the same. We're very simple musically. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. That's what I mean. Yeah, so um, I think a lot of people would, and it, we, we get this from time to time here as well, um, uh, song suggestions and things like that. Of like, mm-hmm. these are songs that we want to sing. And when, when, if I were ever to say no to a particular mm-hmm. song, mm-hmm. it, it, comes across as like that's not a good song because mm-hmm. i think a lot of people have the well it thought, might not be a good song well that's true it, it might be it, a bad it's song. possible that that's what i'm <laughs> am saying but but it, <laughs> very very possible and i would say that yeah yeah <laughs> um but and we do want to sing songs that are good i mean that yeah obviously yeah. but yeah I've, there's and there's I've a whole host of rubrics to go through some songs need to be singable like i have some yeah. really good songs that uh, Need to Breathe has written. I think they're honest. I, I think they're, uh, there's an aspect of holiness to them. I wouldn't yeah. sing them. I, wouldn't, I would not ask well, our church to sing them. They're not, they're not meant to be sung like that. There's a band uh, called Wren Collective that has a couple songs that are, that are like, man, mm-hmm. that is amazing. Yeah. But if you're not him and his <laughs> uniquely talented voice, <laughs> then... It's if, not if you don't have a banjo like and three acoustic guitars, then just yeah, yeah just don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it yeah, it's just not going to come across that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, so they they do have to be singable, and that's hard to quantify. That's hard to like yeah. explain what that means. But it, it, it that's the reason hymns are so popular in churches mm-hmm. is is because they have just a a regular pattern to them and there's no there's no offbeat lyrics there's no it's all just you know pretty fluid unless it was written by charles wesley um (laughs) but uh um so i think a lot of people think that like when i say no we're not singing that song it's because i don't like that song and that may be the case but it's it's usually it's not the case usually i'm like i would actually sing that in my car i might even throw that on a playlist that you know so that I can mm-hmm. hear that regularly as I'm driving down the road. But, and it does speak to my experience as a Christian, but I'm not really coming to church to sing about my experience as a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to church to pay homage and adore the King of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's called worship for a reason. If I'm singing mm-hmm. about my experience, then I'm yeah. the center of the worship, right? And yeah, and we have to be careful. I mean, we we try not to be legalist about it. You know, like we're we're not trying to hunt down every hint of a K Love song and cancel it. You know, like that's not our our goal. Yeah. Uh, but we're trying to provide a, a diet of uh, God Godward songs. Right. And typically in our so th- another thing that happens in our songs that, that um, tends to happen, but it's not always as much as we would like, is um, much as, as I would like, as I typically plan the songs myself, we so we have a call to worship, a passage that kind of breaks from the kind of discussion in the room or the silence in the room, and and the word of God breaks breaks from the rest of your week to the services starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I kind of I, I like to think of that as kind of a Genesis one kind of the the word speaks. Yeah. And the word makes a break to now we're here and gathered and God is our focus and we are listening to him. 
uh, we have that. Then we have a first song. Then we have a reading of the gospel. And then we have two songs that we try to connect to that gospel reading uh, as much as we can. Then we have a pastoral prayer. Uh, and then we have two songs that uh, we try to uh, manage between focusing on the pastoral prayer and the, the point of the sermon. So we're singing up to the sermon and at the same time getting more and more God-focused and more and more off of us in emotion and more on to him as a person and his his character, his nature, his being uh, as the service goes on so that it kind of crescendos with Behold Our God, that's the name of the song, uh, as the last song we sing before we hear his word preached. So you might not always notice that, but that's happening in the organization of the songs in our service. And sometimes you can tell every song today is about hearing God's voice. Every song today is about come ye sinners. Um, It's not always, it's hard. You can't just make that happen. It doesn't always happen like that, but that's what we're trying to do. Uh, is sing around the word, connect everything to the word of God. Our, uh, so to kind of go back to this, we have a, a reading of the gospel so that there's a time in the service where we just stop and we, we read the gospel of Christ uh, explicitly crucified, buried, raised, believe in him, be saved. Uh, and that may come from the gospels, may come from Acts, from Romans, any of the letters. Uh, last, last week it was from the, the book of Acts. <laughs> And we had a we had a funny moment that just kind of makes me chuckle. We, um, what our gospel reading was from Acts chapter ten, and our our elder who was preaching. This is a funny story. He would not mind me telling this. Uh, our our is that Peter elder and who, Simon and the Tanners? Is that Acts ten? Uh, yes. Yep. Peter going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, which is not disconnected from your uh, theme that you mentioned. He. Uh, but my, my elder said, you know, a possible gospel reading for the Sunday would be Romans 10. And we just kind of lost touch. He was, uh, I was traveling and different things. And so I didn't use his gospel reading text. I used the one that I had planned, Acts 10. And so our gospel reader, sweet thing, she stands up there and she says, uh, if you can all turn to Acts chapter 10 for our gospel reading today. Acts chapter 10 for our gospel reading. And, and John, our elder, goes, Romans 10, Romans 10, <laughs> and she looked at me like, which one am I supposed to read? <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of gave her the signal like, you're doing the right thing, read Acts 10, that's right. It was just kind of a kind of a funny moment. So we take the gospel from multiple places, and, and yeah. you know, we, we basically take Peter's explicit gospel that he gives Cornelius, and then we read that out as the gospel preached. There's a prayer, uh, we confess sin, trust the gospel, uh, just remember Christ crucified, resurrected for us. Um, so yeah, so there's those prayers. Uh, we have a reading of the sermon text. So the sermon text is always read out loud. We've had to get creative a couple times in Revelation and read portions of the sermon text covered. Uh, I think just for sake of time and clarity. Um uh, but other than that, there's the sermon itself, which is anywhere from 40 to 55 minutes, depending on how much coffee I've had that day. And after that, we have a moment of quiet prayer and reflection uh, based on the, to respond to the sermon, to respond to the whole morning. Uh, then we do announcements, then we sing a song, 
which is a repeat of one we've already done for that day, and then we go home. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. Then we tend to stand around talking for 30, 40 minutes, yeah. and then, then we go to lunch, and we go yeah. home. The best part. So, yeah, I've been really, I've been really encouraged. Um, uh, that's one of my favorite things coming out of COVID again. I'm, I'm an introvert, man, and so like it just doesn't take much for my, uh, my my people time to be spent. Um, but one of my favorite things is just hearing people talk. And I mean, on Sunday after church, I had someone telling me about counseling. A training they went to someone telling me about their friend encouraging them to go to seminary and then they went someone uh, asking for prayer someone asking me where they can serve in a different um, part of the church um, talking with friends about the cowboys um, I mean all those things happened in the 30 minute span after the service that fellowship just continued on into that um, so we're just really grateful that, that 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 is uh back and happening and growing again people just spending time talking to each other it's yeah. I, I don't I, I don't think we realize that that's part of the service that's part of yeah. the gathering the gathering is not a 10:30 to 12 we did the thing now we go home yeah that is and i think we've created that in the west uh, for many years, including many churches today, but that is not what we're doing. Right. Just coming to a service provided. We're a people gathering together around the preaching, singing, uh, reading of God's Word. So I'm, I don't know what other churches' experience are like right now, but that is growing for us, uh, the sticking around and talking. And, I mean, I think even in COVID, when we first came back from COVID, we were telling people, don't, even if you want to, don't stick around. Like we were telling people to begin when we first started gathering, you cannot stay in the foyer and talk. We don't have space to be six feet distanced. Oh, so man. you need you need to go. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. I don't even I know. Mean, I, I go back and wonder if we even did the right thing. But you know, yeah. we we did what we did. We yeah. I mean, there's a whole probably thing that we we could probably do one day of just like <laughs> hindsight being 2020 what would you do different you know if you mm-hmm. could go back and do it all over again but um yeah i mean it's interesting hearing your your liturgy because it's very very similar to ours we have probably a few maybe a few differences that um that i i would point to that are i don't, I don't know we could probably talk about them for a little bit anyway um we open obviously with a call call to worship I, we or at least that's how i understand our worship service opening is with the yeah. call to worship in the scriptures before our call to worship after announcements i stand up at the pulpit and i i remind everybody of why we're here and um i take i tell them basically to take a moment to just thank the lord for the fact that he has saved them and that, you know, and to remind themselves that they're here to pay homage to the Lord. And, and so kind of set, set sort of the tone of what we enter into, Mm -hmm. but the worship service, I consider it to be, some people will say that's when the worship service begins, but I, 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 (laughs) that's not even in our bulletin, you know, on our order of worship, our order of worship starts with, um, 
with a call to worship, and I've only recently begun doing that. But I felt like there was something there was something that needed to kind of frame the worship service of going mm-hmm. of just explicitly telling people we are here because God has invited us here, mm-hmm. and then the call to worship is really we 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 read it from the scriptures. We re- actually read it together, so we do it as a responsive call to worship. So. I'll read a portion of the text, and then they'll they'll read it with me. Another portion of the text, and it's right. it's invariably a passage that um, that is where where God is inviting His people to come and worship Him, or the mm-hmm. psalmist maybe is you know crying out, you know, praise mm-hmm. Him, praise Him, and and you know that kind of thing. And so it's a reminder of what we're there for. And then the our service flows through basically adoration, confession. Thanksgiving and supplication, but we just flip those instead of Thanksgiving supplication. It's supplication Thanksgiving, and so we um, our first two songs are specifically adoration oriented. So we're calling out specific characteristics about God that we're here to praise, and then um, the third song transitions. And typically at that transition mark, there is a reading of scripture that isn't in the bulletin that is just that is more explaining why the transition is there so uh and and tom who is sort of playing the the role of our worship leader at this moment um and doing a great job at it too Mm -hmm. uh, he he also plays our drums but he kind of organizes this little just moment where where uh somebody on the stage who's leading us will read from the text of scripture uh, a portion of scripture that sort of is embedded in the song that we're about to sing mm-hmm. and that song is typically focused on our own state uh as as mankind in light of who god is and mm-hmm. so it's kind of a response to who god is you know here, here's god majestic and powerful behold our god kind of thing and then we transition to go but we are sinners and it it's leads us into a time of confession. And so that section of the worship service is really a confessional time. And so after that third song, um, we uh, come up there with uh, our call to confession. And we start with this, the scriptures and basically remind the congregation of, and we, we try to call out specific sins in the scriptural reading. And sometimes they're sins that we're all very familiar with or perhaps are even general, like uh, mm-hmm. the way we think. Or, you know, last week it was um, unbelief, you know, and mm-hmm. things like that, you know. And so, but then sometimes it's very narrow and like gluttony or <laughs> it could be any number of things that we we don't often, you know, pray for. And right. so yeah. the, the person who prays will confess will kind of model a confessional prayer um, after in, in response to that particular text of scripture and then um, following that we give a minute for everybody else in the congregation to just pr- pray after the that model confess your own sins to, to the Lord and then um, on the back side of that, there is a reminder of the gospel through, uh, this would be like your kind of gospel reading, this would be where we'd put it, is mm-hmm. sort of a reminder of what Christ has done for us, or what God has done through us, for us through Christ, um, 
in just a, a scripture reading. Mm-hmm. And um, on the back side of that is a, a praise, a reminder of the gospel through song. And so there's a typically a very gospel-heavy, Christ-heavy um, uh, song that comes on the back side of that. And then when I get up to preach, uh, I do a pastoral prayer that I think of as, as more supplication. So I'll pray for things. I've prayed for people in our congregation who are really going through it. We've prayed for uh, other churches. This would be where we pray for other churches. We uh, would pray for uh, other nations even. Um, we pray for, there's a host of things that would fit into that, that we would um, basically pray, pray a prayer of supplication. Mm-hmm. And then um, then there's the sermon, and then following the sermon is a song of response to the sermon, and then um, after that is uh, basically a, a benedictory prayer, so like a, a thanksgiving essentially, but also sort of a, a benediction of sending us mm-hmm. out. And then we read a, a scripture passage of benediction and and dismiss. And I think all of those things, I think what both of us are getting at, they sound very similar, but both of those things are, we're attempt, at least attempting to be uh, purposeful and drive everything around the text of scripture as it's pointed towards God, I, I think. So, yeah, and I think, so could someone accuse us of being high church? We're kind of going back to the old established church, and we're kind of, you know, forget the Holy Spirit. We're just kind of going to do a service like this. And No, no, because I'm in there in blue jeans. So <laughs> this is... This is... <laughs> blue jeans. Oh, my this goodness. Is, <laughs> can't get any more low church. Then, then, then that. is that preacher in flip flops, man? Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! So many people have called me low class that there's no way I could be <laughs> high church. I mean, how could I be high church? I'm low class, man. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. Yeah, I think, yeah, but I, there's something I, though that high church. Just I mean, hi, high church. I think when we say that term, you mean like a liturgy that's very strong and pronounced. Right. Yeah, the original meaning of high church, uh, as I recall, was the um, when the Puritans left the Anglican Church. It was kind of an accusation that they weren't being uh, broad enough. There wasn't enough inclusion of people who disagreed with uh, the Church of England, and so um, and the 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 liturgy. I. I want to say the liturgy was actually meant to kind of do away with that at the beginning and be inclusive in in the sense that it was not it was simple but I, I could be wrong but yeah high high church has yeah. that kind of we we do it in order and we do it with specificity and we tend to do it the same so that the word itself and the prayer itself is the thing that we enjoy and not any kind of other fanciful uh, traps or um, yeah. attractions, things like that. I think you could you could be high church if you were saying uh, you can't get this anywhere else. Like if you're in another place that that you know you're you're in a Presbyterian church, you're wrong. You know, I mean that. 
like you could present it that way uh, and sort of be take the church to a um, I guess the you know the high position and I think you would be um, I think that would probably be kind of like a high church model I would think that's kind yeah. of the and narrow I think view like of the almost every term today high church depends on who you're talking to to some people that they might not know and that means uh, a suit and tie and right. structured and no lights no smoke no guitars well that's high church um, right. maybe not historically but I, I see what you mean yeah um, so for us though I, my my um, and I don't know if this I don't know if this makes me with the Puritans or against the Puritans. I'm not sure, but um, I, I want people to that come into our, our service, whether they are believers or unbelievers, to listen to what's going on mm-hmm. and see what's going on and follow the pattern of the gospel laid out in front of them in the worship mm-hmm. service. And to me, that is the most inclusive we could possibly be, is saying, this is the gospel, and it is for you. Right. Repent and believe. You know? Yeah. Um, You know, and I'll say, too, like, last night, I've been to, I've been lately to Need to Breathe concert. I was at Lord and Daigle concert last night with my daughter, and um, there was a a group before them called the War and Treaty. And, I mean, it's... It's not. It's not church. Those things aren't church. They're not doing what the gathered church is trying to do. Um, I, you know, grew up going to more concert. I haven't been to a concert in five years, and the last one was Need to Breathe in Austin. I mean, that's. I mean, I'm really experienced. I have a really wide scope of concerts. Um, but I think sometimes people can be disappointed that the church is not more like that. That the gathered church isn't more like that. And and, and let me just say, about my own church, I sometimes want to just and actually have uh, kind of responded to this effect just kind of want to stand up and you know clap my hands and say are we awake did you guys get coffee on the way in like are you singing and uh i can uh uh, i i I myself sometimes feel like okay we're just kind of going through the motions we're just kind of doing the rhythm this week uh other weeks i feel like wow we are singing the spirit of god is moving in our appreciation to god in the gospel um I think there's two things that make me feel, several things that make me feel comfortable with our structure of our service and trusting God to be uh, the giver of life in our service and the Spirit of God to be the giver of life and the Word of God to be the growing of our church. Um, one of them is just reading Edwards in, uh, in his uh, book, Affections, Coming Out of the Great Awakening. And his concern regarding false conversions, his concerns regarding excitement, and what true conversion uh, truly is. And another one would be just the churches, the church today, uh, as we exist uh, in the West. Many who, I, many who might be false churches, uh, many who are true churches, but are just a little, a little uh, leaning towards entertainment, maybe in their services. Um, and just the, the need to hear the word read, how little we hear the word of God read aloud authoritatively and prayed through. Um, even though sometimes I myself go kind of, I just kind of feel kind of dry today. It just kind of feels like another another day. It's I, I can do that. Most often I found that that's my own doing. 
that's my own lack of preparation to arrive today um, thinking about coming to worship the God of the universe Um, it's my it's my own expecting the people on the stage and the church to kind of do everything for me and get me excited get me riled up you know and um, I just think the simplicity of reading God's Word and singing God's Word and preaching God's Word, um, they, they will do the work. They, they grow the church. Uh, we, we plant, we water. God, God kind of gives the growth. So I think in, in regards to service, those are just some things that make me feel um, uh, comfortable. I mean, uh, aside from convictions that come out of God's Word itself, those are some things that I've just read and thought over the years that make me feel comfortable with why our service is the order the way it is right now um, and uh, why I think it'll be fruitful in the long run. Yeah, and the kind of people that you're looking to produce. You know, mm-hmm. I, um, the, the old adage, I think it's been attributed to every person under the sun, but what you win them with is what you win them to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Abraham Lincoln. It, it could have been Benjamin Franklin. Um, I read it on the internet, yeah. Yeah, but it is in the Bible, uh, the book of Second <laughs> Opinions. Um, so, <laughs> but Bad joke. Wee wee wee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or maybe it was First Hesitations. I don't know. But um, keep going. How many do you have? How many more do you really have? How many? I want to know how many more you have, Michael. <laughs> it's in James chapter six. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I think there's a there's a probably a, a fear. Maybe it, it is a little bit on my part or anybody else's part that you know you you uh, there is a, a a level of how, how should we say the difference between a concert and the church service like pizzazz. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. that's a word we use too much, but did you just that, do jazz hands by yourself yeah, in the office? Yes, okay. you have yeah. to do the jazz hands when you say you the did. word pizzazz. But yeah. th- there's there's a um, there is you know the the really loud music, the sm- smoke, lights, things like that. Uh, that concert sort of atmosphere uh-huh. tends to drive a lot of a heavy re- emotional response. That's what mm-hmm. concerts are designed to do. They're designed mm-hmm. to pump you up bring the music mm-hmm. down low then mm-hmm. and you get that kind of um mu- music just does funny things to us you know i mean it, it really mm-hmm. does like it just it has an impact on us that is um you know amazing really when you think about how god has designed us to listen to music to respond to music and and it it sort of inspires this emotion in us regardless of what we try to do and so i think there's a there's a uh, probably a pushback from me, from you. I think you see this in our liturgy, is pushing back against that and saying, just because that's there doesn't mean we should play on it and mm-hmm. try to manipulate it. Like we mm-hmm. recognize that the music is going to inspire you to do something. We have a song that we do all the time Magnificent, Marvelous, Matchless Love. And there's two arrangements of the song that I've heard. One is done by the Gettys, and the other yeah. is done by Matt Boswell. And the one uh-huh. done by the Gettys has this um, this really interesting p- 
piano piece to it. And we happen to have a college student who is uh, a piano performance major at our church who plays for us regularly. And when he plays that song, he does all the little parts to it, Mm -hmm. you know, on the piano, which is like he could do it with his eyes closed. And, um, and when he does that, the song just sort of drops off at the end. Like it just ends on this dramatic kind of solo sort of deal and he, and it stops and it just inspires you to just say something or to do something or to to whatever or to clap mm-hmm. and and i think sometimes our our people like feel a little bit ashamed of that they want to clap or that they want to but it normally always generates a whoop or a something mm-hmm. you know just the way the music is and mm-hmm. and so we recognize that that that's going to happen as a result of just music in general but mm-hmm. it's a different thing entirely to sort of play on it and to try to draw that emotional reaction rather than um, letting the gospel itself be yeah. the thing that draws the reaction. You know, and here, here's something interesting. I So we're at Lauren Daigle last night, and we and, – and just to be clear, um, I have no – I'm making any kind of personal endorsement or rejection of Lauren here. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know her personally. I don't know her doctrine. I don't know maybe her songs. I heard more of her songs last night than I've ever heard in my entire life. So we're there. There's a couple of moments where it was clearly orchestrated for uh, the three-fourths of the Irwin Center, which is the University of Texas basketball um, uh, arena, to, uh, to sing a cappella. The entire band stopped. The whole uh, crowd was asked, or you could tell, set up to sing a song. And I'm talking, there, you know, there's 10, 15,000 people here, maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, you, I, I, I'll just say, I was surprised how quiet it was. I really thought there was going to be like a stadium uproar of, of singing. And, and there wasn't. Most people were sitting down. Uh, very few people. In fact, they, they did serve alcohol at this event, and there were about four people on the front who were either so filled with the Holy Spirit or what they had bought upstairs that they were standing and having a good time. But <laughs> hardly anybody else was even standing up the entire night. Until it was libation end. one way or the other. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was thinking during the service, uh, during the concert last night, that there have been sun- – it's not every Sunday – Right, some Sundays I th- I leave and I just think we didn't even sing today. Like, where were we? You know, other Sundays, I I I can see our worship leader. I, I can see him almost hear the congregation tell him to be quiet because we want to sing, mm-hmm. and the congregation is singing loud through a song. And it's almost kind of like an unspoken conversation between us and the worship leader. Like, if you'll just get out of the way, we'll carry this last verse by ourselves. Hmm. And, you know, I just thought, I wonder what it would be like. I guess I don't have to wonder because there's Together for the Gospel. I wonder what it would be like to have these 11,000 people belting out this song without being asked. Hmm. And I thought, man, I am. I cannot begin to communicate the encouragement that I get from our saints singing simply simply serviced and organized songs but that have no root no source no excitement 
no no joy, no stirring except for the gospel and for God himself. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you another thing. I, I think as pastor, I get to enjoy singing in our church more than anyone else in the church. One of the reasons is just because by virtue of my role, I get to know more of people's struggles than anyone in the church. I know of right. marriages that struggle. This person has cancer. This person went to the hospital. This person called about their job this week. This person's having a fight with this person. Um, I, this person's upset. They're not coming. I mean, you know, whatever. And when we, when I hear the church singing through those things, when I hear someone who had a miscarriage six weeks ago sing, you know, uh, may the, you know, whether the Lord take, gives or takes away, let the name of the Lord be praised. Yeah. It is that is more moving and faith-inducing than any anonymous concert, whether it's Christian or not, that you could ever right. go to. Right. And I, I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. And so I love hearing them sing because it's not the songs being sung. It's my church singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Yeah. And when she's singing it and he's singing it and Peter is singing it and Steve and Melanie and Colette and when I hear them singing it now some some not not all Steves have the same voice not all guys can sing like the other guys we've got right. some guys who can sing off key with the best of them uh, yeah. but I'll I'll take that every time because yeah. it's 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 got God at the middle and it's got God as its source for me the, there's a often missed crowd in all the people that you mentioned there is the children like we have we have a mm-hmm. lot of kids in our service because I would echo everything that you just said and then I would I would add to that um, the the children that are in our congregation like we typically so from f- uh, basically four years old mm-hmm. you know, after four you're we have an we have an opportunity for you if you have a four-year-old or below to mm-hmm. put them in the uh, children's building you know, yep. for the worship service. Um, but I say probably a lot of our, a large percentage of our families that have children in that age group opt instead to bring them into the worship service mm-hmm. and um, teach them. And we encourage that. And I'm, and I even said last week, you know, we, you're going to, we're going to hear more movement. We're going to, we're going to, you know, hear more voices and see more movement, things like that. But you know, it's important that they learn how to worship from you, their parent. Yeah. I, and I think so, it's a good podcast. We should do this. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that's one that gets me every time. Is like, so my daughter typically, when I'm sitting with my family before I preach, she mm-hmm. will she will come over to me during the singing and want me mm-hmm. to hold her. And so mm-hmm. I'll just hold her, and she'll put her head on my shoulder while she sings the songs. Mm-hmm. And so she's facing mm-hmm. the other direction, but I can hear her singing. And then I look over across the, the sanctuary and I see um, our student minister's kids um, belting it out. I mean, yeah. if, if, you've, <laughs> if you've ever seen his oldest son sing the doxology, I mean, you'll, you, it'll be a mixture of, you know, laughing, of, of just laughter, watching him do it, and, and tears of joy and all this mm-hmm. stuff because of the way he belts it out. I mean, it's like <laughs> veins. He's, you know, a five-year-old kid. Six, I mean, he may be six. Yeah. And veins popping in his neck just as he is screaming out, praise yeah. God from whom all blessings flow. Yeah. Or hymn of the Savior, when we sing that one, 
I mean, yeah. he just, that's his favorite. Like he just, he's standing up and he's ready to sing it. It's, it's just, it's awesome to see like all these kids who know these songs because yeah. n- not really because we've sung them so much on Sunday morning. They mm-hmm. know them because their parents are teaching it to them at home mm-hmm. and they're singing around the dinner table. And, mm-hmm. you know, that is uh, such an encouragement, you know, to, to see mm-hmm. that there is, the gospel is going out in sometimes in ways that we don't perceive it. You know, mm-hmm. that in kind of circling back to where we started with this old thing, that the, the Great Commission to be a disciple of Jesus is to go out and to proclaim the gospel. But sometimes going out is around your dinner table, you know, mm-hmm. with your family. That, that's your well, first going out, right? <laughs> yeah, and even even the order of the service. I mean, one of the things Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14 is the order of the service. And I, I he's talking about the use of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. And I think more than anything what Paul has in mind is the problem of tongues in the order of the church gathered. He uses the phrase in the church or with the church uh, several times there. To describe what really is upsetting Paul is the gathering of the church being disrupted. All things being said, you want a, a ministry to outsiders, even in the local church gathered, is simplicity and clarity. That there's not a sweeping up into emotion, as 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 our definition of meaning, as our definition of experience with God, and. Uh, and for for Paul, that that you know, that was um, that was that was a, a point for him and in the Corinthian church uh, was that even even outsiders would come and just recognize, uh, be able to to see with their eyes and hear with their ears the clear teaching of the gospel of Christ for sinners crucified. Uh, so I think part of the simplicity in the service is just that for everyone, whoever may come. Uh, that we, we read the Word, we pray the Word, we sing the Word, we preach the Word. We're, we're a fellowship and a people of the Word. Amen. Awesome. Well, well have a good day tomorrow. Hope it goes I'm well. I'm going to do my best here. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to go play golf the rest of the day since I'm not preaching yeah, tomorrow. I bet, you, go. I bet you are. <laughs> All right. All right, see man. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast.